Welcome to Judaism in the 21st Century, a podcast that explores issues we face in life and how we can better deal with them with lessons rooted in Judaism. I'm your host, Stephen Labkoff, and my co-host with me every week is Rabbi Daniel Cohen from Congregation Agudath Shalom in Stanford, Connecticut. Welcome aboard, and let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Judaism in the 21st Century. I'm Dr. Stephen Labkoff, and with me every week is Rabbi Daniel Cohen from Congregation of Goethe Shalom. Rabbi. Hi. Uh, as you know, last week, good afternoon, um, we got a comment from one of our listeners uh, about a previous podcast. And I thought we'd get a couple of moments before we get into our podcast this week and talk about it. Uh, the comment Great. had to do with uh, our podcast on idolatry. And the, the comment was, does idolatry mean the same thing today as perhaps getting zealously interested in some type of public issue? And the public issue could be something like, you know, politics or global warming or, you know, many different things. Um, and I'm not going to get into a debate whether global warming exists or doesn't exist. But I guess the question is, is getting over the top with any public issue in the same vein as idolatry? Um, I think like any good Jewish answer, it depends. <laughs> um, sometimes, look, there's nothing wrong with, you know, again, having certain opinions and being passionate about them, advocating for them. And I think that's part of what our role is. I just want to say, as Jews, we say as part of the Aleinu, the second half of the uh, Prayer, we say our job is olam, to improve the world, to heal the world. But when that is, you said, the language you was over the top or being an and all. And in our own conception, and here I think is the distinction, the value of what I believe in trumps all other values, then it becomes idolatry. In other words, if I am so um, adamant about climate change that I actually, therefore, am willing to put a lot of people out of jobs I am stopping traffic and causing distractions. Um, I am, you know, in many ways, unable to hear another point of view. At that point, I'm actually um, diminishing or discarding other divine values for the sake of the banner of climate change. That is a form of idolatry. Because rather than be honest and say, you know what, I'm an advocate for climate change, but what are other values that are out there that God wants me to be mindful of? And how do I navigate those so I'm not violating one value because this is my prime value? That to me does um, you know, smell like a little bit of an idolatrous practice. And I want to reemphasize, we're not talking about climate change in the fact we're not commenting whether or not that's a good issue or a bad issue. We're commenting on this comment, this concept of whether or not you take some platform and take it to extraordinary ends and that well, was I'll give you one other example i mean uh, sure you know, somebody for example who believes in the value of okay um animals okay now animals i also there's a jewish principle of tsar balechayim which means we don't cause undue stress to animals we have to feed our animals first but no matter how focused i am on the rights of animals it's uniquely distinct from a human being you know a test was done that's quoted if a person saw their dog drowning and their stranger drowning, who do you save? God would tell you, save the human being. 
and allow your dog to drown. But there are people that would rather save the dog than a stranger. That's idolatry. Got it. Well, thank you for that clarification. I think it's a good point. And, you know, the problem I guess that I see today is that there's a lot of uh, a lot of issues that people are taking over the top there that are really getting in the way of of common sense in some respect. Rabbi, you brought this topic up to me a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago, and uh, we've had other things on our plate, but I wanted to bring it back because I think it's a good starting point for what could be a small series of podcasts. And you raised the topic of the sixth constant mitzvot. So I did a little homework and tried to figure out what they were, because I know there's 613 mitzvot, and I didn't know how to decide what were the ones that meant to be constant. And the ones I came up with were as follows. Know there is a God, number one. Number two, don't believe in any other power. Number three, God is one. Number four, love is God. Number five, fear God. Number six, don't be misled by your heart and eyes. So first of all, did I get that right? By the way, I have to say you did, and I'm proud of you for looking them up. <laughs> well, you're, teach, you're teaching me well. I'm trying my best. We're always learning. It's true. Yeah, so you did get those uh, right. And um, it's interesting because I think we always think about a commandment as something that I need to do in a particular time period. That's the natural Shabbat, the holidays, keeping kosher when I eat. But the notion that there are six constants, I think, is just um, kind of new for people and uh, definitely worth thinking about because at the end of the day, Judaism is not meant to be, I like to say, an obstacle course so that what I need to do is I need to dot my I's and uh, punch, you know, dot my I's and cross my T's so I make sure I don't uh, violate any commandments. It's about bringing us to a state of awareness that we're here to do God's will, that we are here to bring God into the world and to acknowledge God as central in my life. And these six commandments really form a very strong foundation for that mindset, uh, which really in many ways transcends all of the commandments. So if we start looking at these, and what I'd like to do is we'll go through the six of them today as an introduction, and then we'll sort of dive onto each one. And I'm going to put my, as you know, my pragmatic spin on things. I'm going to toss in the pragmatic perspectives on uh, on these six constant mitzvot, and we'll discuss them in sequence. Um, sure. So number one, know there is a God. So know there is a God, know that there's a God from a constant perspective. So you're thinking about it all the days of your life, all the times you're awake, theoretically when you're asleep, I suppose. But how does that, what does that mean from your perspective as, as a rabbi and as a learned man? How do we today bring that into reality? So I would say that, you know, it's interesting. This derives this to know there is a God from a commandment in Exodus where it says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You know, one of the great questions that's asked is when God introduced himself to the Jewish people, he didn't say, I'm the Lord, your God, who created the heaven and earth. He said, I'm the Lord, your God, who took you out of Egypt. The difference being, if I say that God is the one who created heaven and earth, it's like a remove God. That's what he did thousands of years ago or millions of years ago. But when I say to know there's a God, it means that I believe that he's involved in the day-to-day -day operations of my life. 
that he's involved on a consistent basis. And it means recognizing that even, for example, when I may not see God's presence or in the generation and the moments in which we're living now, and I may feel, where is God in all this? No, it gives me strength. It gives me a sense that I believe that God can change the world in an instant. To me, that's very, very real and very important to recognize today. A lot of the things that I talk about today with people is people feel so unnerved, unanchored due to all the, whether it's rising anti-Semitism or challenges in Israel, but to know there's a God means that I'll never lose faith. To know there's a God means the God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. So that's one of the main ideas. And to recognize that um, God is with us always, not just that there is a God who created the world, but he sustains all of us every day. So interesting. When when you put it in that framework, you know, it sort of resets to the point where the observation I've made over the last several well, months or years now, where this this concept of sort of ultimate humility is a constant teaching within Jewish liturgy and, and tradition that, and this is no different. Uh, if you know there's a God and you acknowledge there's a God who is in your day, in your life every day, that's, in order for you to do that, you have to have some degree of humility that you were, you may not necessarily be in control of, of the world or your life in the way that you might, uh, you might think. Am I on to, I'm on the right track here? No, hundred percent. Cause I think that, you know, when we think that, um, you know, we're in control or we need to understand everything. Uh, number one, we realize that there's, what am I going to do? Cause I'm in control. At the end of the day, I'm not in control. Or for example, when I spend a lot of my time asking why, well, who are we to ask why? Maybe there's a God who does understand the larger plan. It does stem from having now a sense of humility to know there is a God and I can leave it as they say, you know, let go and let God let go and let God um, is a great way kind of to uh, diminish our anxiety and uh, increase our trust and faith. Well, that, but is that in any way in conflict then with you say, let go and let God. But if we did that and we stopped asking why, then we wouldn't have some of the, you know, medical solutions we have today. We wouldn't have some of the technological solutions we have today. So where is the line drawn? Because if if Edison had never asked why, we wouldn't have light bulbs. We wouldn't have, you know, the the world in which we live in today. And Elon Musk wouldn't be getting ready to send men to the moon and back to and over to Mars. Because I right. think there and this is this will be the topic of our next podcast actually, which will be next week. But um, I'm going to take us down that that little that little rat hole, and we'll sort of unpack it because I think there's, you know, it's sort of like a moving target because when you say no, there's a God, and and you know, let God let God, then it also could stymie technological growth. It could stymie our medical wonders. You know, I'm not. It's not lost on me that when I was in medical school, preemie babies would routinely die between 22 weeks and 26 weeks. And today those same babies are living, uh, you know, probably 70% of the time, 80% of the time with no sequelae. So if somebody didn't say why, why are they dying at 22 weeks? We wouldn't have those advancements. And the same thing goes even for things like the COVID vaccine. 
So let's put that on. A, let's put that aside for now. Let's get to number two because I'll we'll dive. Wait, in. Just answer you really quickly on that one because it's kind of a softball, but we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> because Judaism believes you have to ask why, a hundred percent, but then you have to pivot for what? How am I going to make this better? Judaism always believes that God has given us tremendous wisdom and technology, and we should use those to try to solve the world's problems and harness them. But don't be stuck in the why. That's all it is. Don't be stuck in the why. Address the why and then try to be part of the solution. But we'll talk about that next week. Let's do number two. Number two, don't believe in any other power. It's interesting. It doesn't say don't believe in any other God. It says don't believe in any other power. So this is something actually we've addressed a little bit in our Bitachon class that, you know, the question is, where do people put their trust? You know, where do people put their, again, it's not without um, a realization that whether it's, uh, let's say, money is important, uh, medical technology is important, wisdom is important, but to put your own faith in that on, we talked about this, whether it's social media or technology but make sure you recognize that at the end of the day, those things are not your ultimate trust. You turn to God. Those are just tools, but it's not where I'm putting all my trust. As somebody said to me, I used to put all my trust in the government. Look what the government's doing. Well, don't put your trust in the government. Someone said, I never put my trust. I put my trust in God. I know the government's important. I have to advocate to the government. I have to see what I can do to be a good citizen. But the idea is ultimately all these things are tools of God. All these things are, um, you might say, mechanisms for us to make a more godly world. But don't look at them as the end and be all. Recognize that really in God I trust. That's really where my trust has to be. Because the nature of man is like when we create something, we put all our trust in medicine. It's true. Medicine is great. But that's not it. Yeah, I'm a doctor. I don't put all my trust in medicine. And it's, an interesting, it's an interesting twist there because I've I've watched I've watched a lot of interesting things in my medical career. I, I as you know, I don't see patients anymore, but I did see patients for roughly ten years, and uh, some of the things I saw were miraculous, and some of the things I saw were horrible. Yeah, and. Um, I don't necessarily trust medicine to have all the answers. I trust medicine to have most of the answers or some of the answers, but there are things that are unexplainable and I don't know where else you would turn and without those explanations for those explanations. Let's go to number three. Okay. God is one. I think I need some help with this one. What does that mean? God is one. I know it's in the, in the Shema here was your Lord of God. The Lord is one. What does it mean? The God is Uh, one. Um, Sure. What God is one is the following. This, by the way, is an important idea, which is that God is one, by the way. Okay. I mean, there is one God, but what does it mean that we hope there'll be a world when God is one? What it means is we hope that we recognize there'll be a world when everyone recognizes that God is within everybody. Clearly, for example, when I see another human being who maybe I disagree with politically, who maybe is a different faith than me, or for example, no faith, Am I looking at that person for what differentiates them from me? Or are I trying to mine and reveal the spark of godliness in that person? So to know that God is one is to know that there's more that unites us than divides us. And imagine if everyone really knew that God was one within every human, then we'd be much more attuned to finding uh, the common good 
And not as uh, Zig Ziglar once said, not digging for the dirt, but mining for the gold. So does that imply that, um, so what does that imply with regard to other religions in the world? I mean, there's, you know, probably one or two billion Hindus, there's one or two billion Muslims. What what does God is one, what is the context of that with regard to the rest of, of the eight billion people who happen to share the earth with us? So a couple things. I mean, first, we do believe there does exist idolatry today. I mean, look, Hinduism is not monotheism. Um, and obviously, we hope there'll be a time when people recognize the oneness of gods within the world. But that also means that we recognize whether somebody is Hindu or Christian or Muslim, that they're all created from uh, the spark of the divine, that ultimately we do believe that um you know, again, every human being is created in God's image. We pray for a time when obviously people that are doing evil, that's eradicated 100%. Um, and we have to rid the world of evil. At the same time, to know that God is one um, would build a lot more unity in the world um, and really diminish a lot of the racism, the bigotry, and the divisiveness. It's just because someone looks different than me or practice different than me doesn't mean that they don't have that image of God that needs to be respected and needs to be recognized as well. Let's go on to number four. Love is God. Or sorry, I, I misread that. Love God, love not God. love is God. Love God. Love God. This is in the book of Deuteronomy. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And this, I would say, you know, what does it mean to love God? Maimonides talks about it, that he says a person should come to an appreciation of God as if you're in a romantic relationship, where it's like you're in the state of awe, you're like, wow, the world is amazing. You know, and uh, Rabbi Moshe Tendler would oftentimes quote Maimonides. He'd say, study nature, you'd appreciate it. Study biology, see the majesty, the mystery of just the human body and everything in nature, and it will come to uh, bringing us to the sense of literally living inspired, living with a sense of uh, eternal gratitude and appreciation for the abundant blessings that God showers with us. So that's really what love of God is like. I mean, I just am amazed and so overjoyed. That's why blessings are so important in Judaism. I don't just make a blessing when I'm saved, God forbid, from a, a life-threatening crisis, but I make blessings every day. I can open my eyes, I can see, I can walk, I can talk, move my hands. That's about cultivating love of God. Let's go to number five, fear God. I feel like I'm uh, you know, on top 10, Casey Kasem's top 10. <laughs> You're on Judy's in, in the 21st century top 10, actually top six. Top six. So the number five is fear God. So you've gone from love God to fear God. So I think fear is you know, really very important. It says you should revere God, you should serve him, that we have to recognize that our actions have consequences, that um, we're doing something not because it feels good, but because it is good. I'm not doing something based on pressure, but I know that ultimately I'm accountable to a God um, and God is the central reason for my actions. And this is a very important idea to cultivate because ultimately an ethical world, a moral world, is uh, driven by knowing that I stand before God always. And whether or not there are external regulations, I have an inner motivation to do what the right and ethical thing is. 
And I think we've touched on that more than once in the podcast over the last, you realize this is episode 22 we're recording today. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, number six, is don't be misled by your heart and eyes. And I think we actually talked about this one relatively recently. Um, but what's your take on number six? Number six. So I think this is also the idea that we have to lead our lives based upon what's soulful, not what kind of gives us immediate pleasure, but rather what gives us more eternal um, impact and purpose. This is an overarching idea because it says in numbers, do not follow your eyes and go astray. The idea is that we have to recognize in everything that we do that I'm not just doing like what gives me immediate satisfaction. That's what an animal does. But a soulful person recognizes that I have a higher calling and higher purpose. And recognizing that on a daily basis will be a way for us to do a bit of a soul check and say, you know what, before I do something, I have to look not at the short-term benefits, but at the long-term consequences. And that's something that should animate all of our decisions uh, every day. So I, I, I would never have taken number six and put it into the context that you just did in, in terms of how we separate ourselves from the animal world. Um, it's an interesting way of thinking about it. I would think that that would be more like um, maybe it's the same, maybe what I'm about to say is in fact the same thing, but um, somebody says to you or you're in a situation where someone tries to like if you're in in the in the real world today and you are presented with an investment opportunity that just looks way too good to be true now trust your don't be misled by your heart and your eyes your heart may say oh i would love to make a quick killing and the presentation and the graphs that they show you might look true may look enticing but you know have a healthy skepticism don't just jump because Odds are nothing's that easy. Odds are things in the world don't come to you one, you know, just like that. Um, I was thinking it was more a more tangible kind of a of a commandment in that regard, or maybe it's both. No, I think it is. Um, it definitely is uh, is both. No question about it. I mean, part of Judaism, you know, as you say, and this is what I've learned from my good friend Steve Lavkoff: bring it home, make it personal. <laughs> So I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, you know, it's very much kind of theology is what we're talking about, these six commandments, but it has to be brought to reality. If it's not brought to reality, then we're kind of missing the whole point of what this is all about. And I think that, you know, this is a great case of these are both true. And it's what your way of looking at it, my way of looking at it, I think they're both legitimate and both are ways for us to, um, you know, make these uh, six mitzvot truly uh, real in our lives. Well, that's a good introduction to the to these six mitzvot. Um, I have to say, some of them I didn't quite I, I didn't quite get from the initial reading I did, and you've helped put them into a, a better framework. It, most of them here still revolve around this issue of of showing deference and humility to a higher power to 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 God, and. It's a, it seems to be a constant thread through many of the things we talk about and in our, in our learning that we do on Thursday nights. Um, and it feels like not just keep it, keep humble, make sure you're humble, but make sure you're humble all the time. 
don't let your your own um hubris get away with you know get in front of you get too far out in front of you don't get what's the expression don't get too far out in front of your skis i think yeah, is exactly. the expression. um because you know when you think that you're in control you know the next thing you know if you're out in front of your skis you're going to hit a tree or a rock or something that was always there you just couldn't tell because you weren't you know taking a more cautious approach no 100 i think that comes back down to what you said having humility knowing that it's not all about me but it's about you know what i can do for god and what god wants from me uh, that's really what this is there i mean look i'll conclude with this um the great philosopher Moshe chaim luzato said that my role in life is just to remind you of the obvious the six commandments my father would always say two things you need to remember there is a God and God gave us the Torah. And the rest is kind of commentary after that. Believing there's a higher power of God and that he has a mission for all of us and for the Jewish people, you know, that's really what this is. Just constantly making sure we're not just operating on autopilot, but I'm here to serve. God brought me into the world today for a specific reason to accomplish something that nobody else in the world can accomplish because God knows that I matter. That's really what these are all about. Each one of us matters. That's really what the six commandments are there to uh, hopefully instill in our hearts and our minds and our actions uh, every single day. Well, thank you for that. And over the next six weeks, since there are six of these, I'd like to unpack them a little bit more deeply and uh, we'll see how far we get. Hopefully we'll get through all six and um, we'll sort of explore how do we bring these all into our day-to-day -day life? Because again, as you know, I like to look at this with a practical lens, not just because I'm a photographer and a scientist, but because I'd like to try to figure out how these rules and laws and, and commandments that are 3000 years in the making, how do they present themselves today in the world we live in that is so complicated and such a mess uh, as we speak. So with that, why don't we wrap it up for today? And I'd like to say thank you, Rabbi Cohen, for another really interesting uh, discussion. I hope that the folks at home will uh, send us some notes or give us some feedback. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And with that, Rabbi Cohen, any final words? Um, actually, I just want to thank you for the opportunity for making me think about this. Okay, that's good. And uh, we're all learning together. So I do appreciate the opportunity. And with that, we'll say thank you very much. This has been Judaism in the 21st Century with Stephen Lapkoff and Rabbi Daniel Cohen. Thank you for joining us today on Judaism in the 21st Century. You've been listening to Rabbi Daniel Cohen from Congregation of the Shalom in Stanford, Connecticut, and Dr. Stephen Lapkoff. Please join us again next week for another episode. Thanks for listening.